0: We're going to go right back to the book of Acts, chapter 7. And we've just been looking at this book together in a series. And just since the new year, I've really had it on my heart that we would uh, just look at the first church and just see what God is doing with that church and what God is doing with the people in that church. And in an age where I think that religious organizations and companies... Individual endeavors are really looking for either to rebrand or to redefine or reinvent. I hear these words before? We're going to reinvent ourselves, we're going to rebrand, we're going to redo this. I think for us and for me personally, just, I'm, I'm, and I'm looking at the book of Acts just for my personal walk, not to preach at you, just on my personal walk. What does the, the New Testament Christian look like? And I think if we look at the book of Acts, and we really see what God is doing in the book of Acts, it would really de- redefine a lot of things the way we do, what, the way we see church today. And we see some incredible things. We see in Acts chapter one, we see uh, the church waiting in prayer. And there's this anticipation that God's gonna do something. And they don't even really know exactly what's going to happen because they're not really grasping what Jesus said. That waits in Jerusalem until power comes. That's pretty vague, right? I mean, what does that look like? How does that, how do we apply that? What's that daily schedule look like for me waiting for power to come? And how does that look? And then we see in Acts chapter two, we see and so they're praying and they're in, they're they're in unity. They're waiting on God. They're looking at God, and they're not looking at the apostles. They're not looking at each other. They're not, they're not looking at a lot of things. They're looking at God, and. Here is, um, here in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and this blesses me so much, because, and I've said this before, but it really speaks to me so much, that for the first time since Adam and Eve, before they fell, the Holy Spirit could indwell fallen flesh. Well, Adam and Eve were not fallen yet, but they were, they were innocent in the sense that they had not fallen. And they were, they were, and then the Holy Spirit says in Acts chapter 2, And I know there's a lot of discussion about the tongues and the sensation of what's going on, but I think one of the awesome points in Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit rushing into the believers. And he can't, and it just talks about, it's it's like it's like someone coming back from overseas, from the war front, and this tired soldier comes through the doors, you know, at the airport, the arrival doors. And there's a family there, and this family is like running through all of the, you know, running through the barriers and past the police and just running at this, at this, at their their dad and their husband that just came home from war. And there's this, there's this, there's this amazing joy and embrace and weeping and joy and laughter. And it's like, this is like what the Holy Spirit and Christ is doing. They're coming into the church. Because it says, remember in the, in the Last Supper, in the communion of Christ with his disciples, he said, with great desiring, I have desired to eat this with you. That is God's, that is God's desire, to commune with us. And you may say, well, I don't feel so great. You know, I got up this morning, and you know how you, I don't know if you guys get these breaking news things on your phones. Well, I got a breaking news from um, ABC or whatever. It's, one of the, it's a Houston station. Big capital letters, gloomy day, you know. And I was just thinking, like, like that's not how I see this day at all. The Holy Spirit here is running, runs into the in Acts chapter two into the believer, and and is indwelling us and desires communion, no matter how we feel. Emotions are not true. Emotions do not necessarily tell us the truth. Emotions are responders. Our emotions respond, and our emotions are going to respond to what the content of our thought life is. And that's beautiful because. When I feel like whatever I feel like, I can look at Christ, I can look etern- at eternal realities, look at him, his unconditional love. And I can have a different perspective, as we see in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit coming in and just so passionate about, about indwelling the church. Acts chapter 3, we see, uh, we, see, um, we see Peter getting up and preaching. And then we see disciples made, and we see God, God moving. We see in Acts chapter 4, we see this incredible generosity going on. People sharing with one another, uh, meeting the needs of um, the body. And then Acts chapter 5, we see, we see in Acts chapter 4 something that we've never seen before. Uh, we've never seen a community in human history that thinks like this. And this community exists because God is present in the, and Christ is present in them. The Holy Spirit is present in them. And so we see this community giving and sharing and laying down uh, their lives for each other. And then Acts chapter 5, we see the devil tries to attack that. The devil's always trying to attack the work of God in your life and in my life. And it's not you. And let's not like, you know something, I think sometimes when we're in a trial, I know this happens to me. When I'm under, in a trial, I get subjective. I start thinking like, oh, it's me, it's me, it's me, or it's me, it's, it's me that's raw, It's me that, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I bet nobody in this room thinks that way, right? <laughs> nobody thinks that way. Oh, it's me. Because the devil always wants to hide spiritual warfare from us. He wants to make it about you he wants to make it about your righteousness or about your failures one of the two one of the two extremes and those are the two extre- those are the two thieves of the gospel and we want to talk about that next week where there's religiosity and moralism that tries to steal from the power of the cross versus um, the, uh, versus lasciviousness or amoralism or living without restraint and so these two thieves try to steal. As we see in Acts chapter 5, we see that the devil puts it in Ananias and Sapphira's heart to lie to the to lie, and the result of that is pretty severe. And And at the end of that, Acts chapter 5, there's great fear that comes into the church. Acts chapter 6, which we hit, hit last week, we, get, we begin to see that God begins to form leadership, and the idea of leadership is not to tout around authority, but it's to serve the body. Now, this is really cool, because... We see in Acts chapter 6, for the first time in, in the church, the racial question come up. And I love how this, I love how this is dealt with in the, in the church. We see that the Greek widows um, are not getting the care they feel that, they're, that the Hebrew widows are getting. And the Greek speakers in Jerusalem were kind of looked down at. They were in some way con- considered a mi- minority in some cases. By the way, I don't like that word, minority. It's just, I don't think it's a biblical word. There are no minorities in the kingdom of God. We are all really the same new cre- creature, one man in Christ. And so what we see happen is, is that the apostles, they all, all of them meet together, all 12 of them meet together, and they say, why don't we take people out of, you, you choose in the congregation people that you feel that can handle this situation properly, and we will, we will, we will bless that, we will ordain that, we will put our hands on them, and bless them. And what, what do we see here? If you dig a little bit in Acts chapter 6, and this is what we said last week, we see what kind of people step forward. We see Greek people. Greeks step forward to take care of the Greek widows. Isn't that cool? The, the apostles put it in the hands of the the group in the church that feels like that they are not getting the care that they, that they need. And he says, you guys do it. You guys handle it. You guys... Know best. And then we see one of them, two of them, Stephen and Philip, are um, mightily used by God later, as we see in Acts chapter 7, which we're going to look at this morning. And we see Philip later on, all the way. And Philip's an amazing guy. He's an evangelist. And we see him at the end of the book of Acts. And we see that Paul shows up with his traveling team. I think it's Acts 21. <clears throat> and he shows up at Philip's house with his four daughters who are prophesying. And he, he goes in there and he stays there with them. We see this incredible thing going on with, with Stephen and Philip. Stephen, by the way, is not an apostle. Okay, He's not, a, he's not like this superman. He's not like this super, super... like He's not, he's not a preacher. He is what they call a, a, a deacon. And by the way, in Acts chapter 6, we don't see that word in the noun form, deacon. And so, there, so what that tells us is that, the, that the, the focus on Acts chapter 6 is not about the office, but it's about what is being done. And So I think it can be very easy in church government to get very occupied with office and not ministry. So we see this, we see the word deacon, but in its verb form, which means, by the way, I failed English. I, I mean, it's just, you know, I have some good books I can read and get this. But what it says here is, is that deacons where these deacons were actually serving. They were doing the work of a deacon. They were serving. They were serving the body of Christ. And so when we look at authority, and when we look at church authority, authority in the Bible is defined by the life of Paul, by the life of Jesus, by the disciples, who all of them lost their lives for the gospel. Authority is given so that that person who has it has the capacity to bless others. And that's the purpose of authority, to bless, to lead, to bless, and to serve. And so, in Acts chapter six, we see um, we see Stephen begins to be used by God in a mightily way. He's he's um, he's just anointed by God. And then in Acts chapter seven, where we're at right now, and I don't want to read through this whole thing, but what happens is Stephen gets arrested because he's just being used by God. Because the system, the system that we live in, and I want to talk about that in a minute. When when God begins to move, the system is threatened. The whole system's threatened. Everybody's, everybody's, our systems, my personal system, me, Christian's system, gets threatened. Our personal systems get threatened. Why do they get threatened? Because we as human beings create a human society that's broken. (laughs) We live in a broken world, don't we? And, um, Even the whole world of computers and software, as Eduardo and I were talking about this morning, uh, fails. You know, and it fails, and it, and it, and it's messed up. It's broken. Yesterday, we were Eduardo and I just went back to visit some folks that we had met a couple Saturdays ago, and we met this one lady, Kim. No, Lisa, right? And she said to me, her husband or a guy was there, and he's just strung out on something. And and she's there, and she has this autistic daughter who's 13 years old. We think we have broken situations. I mean, you look at somebody else's lives. I mean, we drove here in a vehicle. We have a house to live in. And we have, generally, we have people around us that generally love us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, they do. They love us. I mean, this lady yesterday, I mean, I don't know. I just talked to her, and I just thought, Eduardo was there. I just, just said to him, ma'am, do you know Christ? Do you know the love of Christ in your life? Do you? You know that He has options for you to get out of this situation, step out of this situation. God loves you. He sent His Son for you. You're important. And I was just talking to a woman. I think it looked like her soul had been ravaged by just the lusts of people, of whatever, whatever. Whatever anybody, whatever anybody wanted, this woman was looking for value and attention. She was giving it to them. And this is just the way the world is. The world says, hey, I'm going to give this to you, but you gotta, there's going to be a trade off. And the trade-off that the world always gives us is way more than we can ever give. It's always way more. It's like that's the financial system we live in. Hey, we're going to borrow money, and okay, man, it it demands much more. The demand is much, and then you lose your job, and then you have all these debts. Okay, the system system that we live in in this world is a system of what I call ungrace. You fail in the system, and you're not going to get a lot of love from a digital computer. You're not going to get love from AI. You know what I'm saying? You're going, to get, you're going to get kicked to the corner, and the system is going to chew you up, take what it can get out of you, and then spit you out. And this is a system that the world is. that There's the God of the world system in Ephesians two. 2 he's the God of the air. He's not a capital G God, but he is a Lord and a ruler. But he's limited. And then there's a system that we live in and this system is a system that that um it, it does two, it does two things it creates compliance and it creates rebellion every human system is going to create two things compliance and some of us are good comp- compliers like some of us are great compliers some of us are not great compliers we're re- we're about rebe- we're rebels my wife she grew up in a catholic culture and she was a rebel <laughs> she was a rebel to the system And she got saved because she was a rebel. She got born again, and and her priest came to the house to visit her family and said, um, something's got to happen with your daughter. She's reading the Bible. She's going to turn into a fanatic, and she's going to get deceived. That's what the priest said, that, that your daughter is going to become deceived because she's reading the Bible. Now, is that ridiculous or what? Is that crazy or what? That's just like, what did you just say? That's insanity. And so the system... Is religious, the system is economic, the system is political, the system is sociological, the system is just it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And this system is a system that rules this world, but it's very broken. And so in Acts chapter 7, here Stephen, he gets Stephen gets arrested by the system. Why, right? He gets he gets arrested by the system. <laughs> Anybody that's ever been arrested or been in custody, and I've been in custody, knows that you're in the system. You're in this you're in the system. There's something there, you get whatever, that whole system is your booked, whatever, okay, you're a number or whatever. And so, you know, and you just don't, don't feel great about that. You don't really feel wonderful about that. And the system never forgets, right? It just never forgets. It doesn't forget until somebody deletes it. And there's not a lot of people that can delete the system. And so a person is in the system, and so Stephen gets arrested by the system, because he's upsetting the system he's healing people and that's not supposed to happen nobody's supposed to get healed nobody's supposed to be released from their bondage or their slavery no one's supposed to be healed from their sickness Um, and we could go into that I don't want to get into it but are there are there let's say entities today that don't want people to be healthy because if they're healthy then they're not making money off of them I don't know so he gets arrested by the system. He gets pulled in, and he gets interrogated. He, asks, he gets asked one question. I want to read that one question, and then I want to turn somewhere else and just look at something. The high priest said, now look at this. In verse 15 of chapter 6, um, you know they, they arrest him, and they set up false witnesses. And they say, this man never ceases to speak against the holy place and the law. Is he speaking against the holy place and the law? No, he's not. He's speaking that the holy place is now... Jesus Christ and the believer, that we are the new holy place. You know, we are the new holy place. We have a spirit in us in John 14 that's not the spirit of the world. And the law, the law has now been fulfilled. And when Jesus said, when when Paul said this in in Romans chapter 10, he said that the law has now been fulfilled. What in effect the gospel has done. It has taken the power, the authority, the manipulative bondage that the religious system had over people and removed it. And so basically said, you're free. He didn't say you're free to break the law. He said that now Christ is in you, the fulfillment of the law. And so now as a believer, we're not living in systems that the world wants to put on us. Now we need to take that and let that seep in and let, let us think that like, because we judge ourselves every day, every day. We're judging ourselves by a system that's not a system of grace by faith, a righteousness that comes through faith. And so they arrest him, and look at this man. He's just an amazing man. He said, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us, which happens in 70 AD, when Titus and his armies march into Jerusalem. And in verse 15, and gazing at him, this word gazing means that they're just like they're fixed. I mean, these these guys are fixed on on Stephen. They're like, this guy here, what is this? Who is this guy about? And it says that his face is shining, who sat in the council. Saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Wow. And then the high priest has the audacity to say in verse 7, chapter 7, verse 1, Are these things so? And then Stephen said, and What does Stephen do? He preaches. He preaches this whole message about God's faithfulness in Israel. Uh, he's not talking about himself, he's not defending himself. He's just talking. He, Stephen is living in a much bigger picture than the religious system is living in. He's living in a much bigger system that the economic system is living in. He's living in a much bigger system than the culture, the Jewish culture is living in. He starts talking about brothers and fathers. Well, I love that. He starts off with, with just affection. He, said, he says, guys, we're brothers and fathers. I respect you men. And he said, brothers and fathers. And then he begins to speak about God's work in Israel. It's all about God meeting Israel and Israel's failure. And that's the gospel. And we see that in Acts chapter 2, all the way to Acts chapter to the end of this chapter, we see the gospel through Peter and Stephen is being preached in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 8, it changes. It moves on to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 7, he starts preaching. He's talking about the amazing work of God in Israel. And then in the end, and I think right at the end of his message, and he said, and you have resisted the work of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, it says that all these men ran at him, gnashing on him with their teeth. I mean, can you imagine like this this is like a this is this is the first martyr of the New Testament. Can you imagine the the insanity of these men who have been brought to a place where they are so convicted and they're so resistant to the Holy Spirit that they run at Stephen and they start biting him. <laughs> I mean it's just like ridiculous. Look at this. And they're gnashing on him, they're chewing on him and they're like, gnashing on him with their teeth. And it's like, can you, I don't know, I'm not a psychologist, but you have to be at a pretty low level psychologically to run at somebody and start chewing them. I mean, that's, 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 that is cannibalism. And he, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just ridiculous, you know. And then you drag him out, and they stone him, and he dies. And, and it's just amazing how it says that, um, it says that he looks up, and Jesus is not seated at the right hand of the Father like we see in the New Testament. He's standing and I don't know if you've seen that before, but he's standing. He's standing in honor for the first martyr. And he's standing there. And, and what, is, what does Stephen do? <clears throat> he just pours out forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Don't hold us to their account. And he falls asleep. And I think that if someone is being martyred, and we know people overseas that have lost their life for the gospel, we hear about it often. Um, and by the way, let's not get so caught up in American politics that we forget what's happening to our brothers and sisters overseas, in Syria, in Iran, uh, to, in China, in Tibet, um, in Somalia, in Sudan. People losing their lives on a, on a regular basis. And as, as, as he's dying, he has this, it says that he says he fell asleep. And this is, I think, a dying mercy. I think when the believer dies, and it's time for him to pass away in the plan of God, there is this grace that he gets. And I've seen it. Maybe you've seen it in your family. Somebody passing away, and it says that they fell asleep. And but I want to back up a little bit here, and I want to look at something with you. And I just want—I want to. uh, It's going to be a little bit of a digression because, but I think it's important that we hit this. We see the gospel being preached in the next following few weeks. I want to just talk about what the gospel is and how we see it in the Book of Acts. But here Stephen says, and he's talking, and I think it's verse 25. Let's look there, verse 25. And he says, and this spoke to me so deeply, it struck me so hard this week. I just, it's a few moments, it just really spoke to me very deeply, personally, and really broke me. And I think it's verse 25. And it says, so it, he's at the point in his message where he's, God is speaking to Moses. He's saying, Moses, go speak to the children of Israel. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, and then he says here, and in verse 25, he's supposed... That his, brother, his brothers, and this is Moses, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Think about that for a minute. Okay. I think we have to go back to Exodus chapter 6 to understand exactly what's going on. So let's look at that briefly. Exodus chapter 6. Um, why is it that they're not understanding? And this is where Christianity, this is where we're at today. This is where you and I have been at this week. I, I, can, I can guarantee it. Exodus chapter 6. We look here. Acts chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord is beginning to speak to Moses, and he says, And the Lord said to Moses, and just bear with me, I'm going to read this through, okay? And the Lord said to Moses, and this is Acts 7 25. And the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand will he send them out, and with a strong hand he will, del- he will drive them out of his land. Pharaoh's going to do that, okay? God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I love how God speaks to us. He's always talking about history, our history together. And He says, I have spoken as God Almighty, but, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. Now, God begins to go into promise talk here. He begins to talk promises to his people. About deliverance. Listen to how he's talking, and this is gospel, by the way. This is Old Testament gospel of what God's going to do. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard them groaning in of the pe- I've. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. Remember that word. I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel. Now this is what. Moses is supposed to say to Israel, okay, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, okay, political system, under bondage, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you from an outstretched arm, with an outstretched arm, and with great acts of judgment, great acts of judgment, I will take you out. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into a land that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Now, is that great news or what? Okay, so what happens in verse 9? Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. So he recites to Israel, The promise and the work and the intent of God to judge the system, to break the system, and that the system would actually kick them out. And it says here in verse verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and their slavery. That really hit me this week, and I'll explain to you why it hit me. Because... I don't know, have you ever talked to somebody, and you're just giving them great news, you're just like sharing the gospel with them, you're pouring your heart out to them, and you're just telling. You're giving them the answers for their life. Like, hey, here you are. Like, this, I was talking to this lady, Lisa, yesterday, and this is what happened. She, we're telling her, we're sharing with her, and I could tell she just was not getting it. She just wasn't in a place where she could receive it. And what happened here? The Israelites did not listen to Moses. And I think if Moses was an immature, novice leader, he would, he would just dump on the Israelites and say, you bad people, you, know, you rebellious people. He could, have just, he could have gotten angry as a leader. He could have just yelled at his, at his people that he was pastoring. And he could say, you people are just like, you Israelites are a mess. You guys, you know, and, and just forget it. But he doesn't do that. And it says that they, got, they, he, they did not listen to Moses because of what? And in the King James, I love the wordage that the King James uses, because of the anguish of spirits and the cruel slavery. Oh my God, that's unbelievable. Do you know why it's amazing? Because we, this is what is happening today. This is where people are at today. We speak to people, we minister to people, we're sharing with people the gospel, and God is speaking to you and I. And then sometimes we just don't have capacity to hear God. We don't have capacity to hear God. Why? Because we are sometimes we are just enslaved to the system, with anguish of spirit. Have you been there? There's another. There's another translation in the Hebrew. There, that another writer brings out shortness of breath. Oh my God! They're like, you ever been shortness? Of breath? I had this. I don't know. I've had, I've been short of breath, and you and are you're, you're taking breaths, and you can't take deep breaths because and, and you can't get your breath, and, and you can't really do much. You can't. You can go, You can hardly, You stand up, and you feel like you're gonna pass out. You ever been sick like that? Shortness of breath. Why? Because of the cruel slavery. This world, friends, I don't know, this week, this month, this year, this life, okay, we face a system that takes individuals and puts them and enslaves them on every level. And this slavery is not content with just a, a, a voluntary par- participation when we want to participate. It demands total allegiance. Are you following me? It's a system. It's a world system. It's a system of righteousness that doesn't belong to God. It's a system of morality. It's a system of finance. It's a system of social. It's a system of culture. It's a, it can be a racial system. It can be a whatever system you can imagine. It can be a system from A to B. And this system, what it does is, is it enslaves people. And guess what it does? And this is where the church is at today, I think. The American church. I heard someone say it this week, is that people come to church, and I, I, I guys, I'm gonna be honest with you, I've been there, uh, this is me this morning, coming into church, or whatever, you feel like you got shortness of breath, you feel like, you know, and, you're, and, and people come to church, and they're, they're, we're, we're, we can get so busy, we can just get so engaged with things, and it's just, it's not bad, we're doing what we do, we are, we, you know, my wife and I are small business owners, and we have good months and bad months, okay? And I'm just saying that because what can happen to us, or maybe we go to, maybe we're engaged with like, I don't know, it could be any kind of a, a cultural system where, where, where I work. It's, it's like you've got to always be at this level where I work. If you're not, there's not going to be any compassion. There's not going to be any like, hey, brother, can I help you? Can I encourage you? What's going on? Are you all right? You've got to be here all the time. And it's a system. And what can happen is, what happens is, is that Christians come to church and they're they're busy, they're they're tired. Some cases they're bored. Some cases they're just they, and they have no capacity. But they're hopeful, hopeful. Come to church, hopeful. And we come to church, and, and it's like, and this can happen. This happens. And I think people are really starving for the great news of the gospel. Guess what, though? You can come to church and hear it, and it just doesn't set us free. Why? Because there's an enslavery happening. And what does God do here? So, what does God do? God sees that Moses doesn't react to the people. Moses is thinking outside. He's not thinking about himself as a leader. He's not getting. He's not taking things, you know. Like he's he's he says he, he's, God says to Moses, they didn't listen to them because the anguish of spirit and cruel slavery. And so the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to tell and to tell the, to let the people of Israel go out of the land. What happens? Pharaoh is a symbol of what? The god of this world, the god of this system, right? Satan. Moses here, and this we could use this in, in this sense is a picture of Christ, isn't it? Christ comes, preaches to Israel. Israel does not receive the gospel. Acts chapter seven. They reject the gospel. Actually, they kill all the prophets, and then they kill Jesus, and then they kill they kill S- Stephen, and then they kill all the apostles. And they're just killing, killing. Why? Because there's no because of the slavery. Friends, you and I sometimes are in that place where we just get—we're under the—we're we're, just—we're un, under the system. We just get—we get burdened down. We have that. Have you ever had anguish of spirit? <laughs> I've had anguish of spirit. I've had that, where you're just crying out, and your heart is like, well, you know, and it's like anguish of spirit, and and it's like, and then the cruel slavery of the system, and and it's like. God, I have no capacity. I have no capacity for you. I have no capacity to pray. You ever been in that place like, I should pray. I should have my devotionals right now. I should be a spiritual person. I should be a spiritual dad. I should be leading, leading this family or I should be a spiritual wife or whatever. And I just don't have it. And what happens? God says, Moses, Jesus, I want you to engage Pharaoh. God says to his son, I want to engage. I want you to engage the God of this world. Let's let the people... Not worry about their capacities. Don't condemn capacity or lack of capacity. Let's talk about the real problem. Let's solve the problem. I and mean, this had to happen. I look at unbelief, and I look at uh, falling short in my life of many in many ways. And in Romans chapter, I think it's Romans chapter. Somebody convert, confirm this. I think, it's, uh, I think it's Romans ten or Romans eleven, verse twenty three. It says that God has concluded all under unbelief. All. You just—I'm going to—you know—you're a good person. You've never killed anybody. You've killed 14 people. Everybody's going to be on the same level. So why? So that purpose clause in the Greek. So that He might have mercy upon all. I think it's a wonderful place to start a day and say, God, I'm Your child, but I'm—I'm filled with unbelief. I'm filled with lack of capacity. I'm filled with—I can—I do—I cannot do this Christianity thing on my own. I need You to quicken me, and if You don't quicken me. Then we're, we're dead in the water. <laughs> That's called zero point Christianity. And it's like, if I can come to the altar in the morning in Romans chapter 12 and say, God, I got these sacrifices here. I'm doing good here. I have been fallen in this area for a while. You know, I'm not yelling at my dog and I'm not doing this. And, you know, it's like, if I bring that to the altar, it's like God says, I can't fellowship with you there. We can't talk. There's nothing we can talk about. But if you come to the altar broken, Enslaved or feeling what, the way we feel, and coming to the altar and saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And if that's our prayer, and I'm not, t- I'm not talking about praying for salvation, I'm just talking about understanding that, that God meets us in Romans chapter 5, that why we were without strength, why we were at enemies of God, and why we were, what's the other word, sinners, why we are these three things Christ died for us. Christ goes and engages Pharaoh. Christ goes and engages Satan. Meets Satan in the garden. Meets Satan at the cross. Meets Satan in, Romans chapter, in Matthew chapter 4. Meets Satan, casts out demons. And he's continually engaging the devil until he defeats him at the cross. In, in, um, in John chapter 19 where he says, It is finished, his blood is poured out, and game over. It's over, game over. The, war, the battle is over. And it's like Milton, and, and, and the writer Paul writes in the book of Corinthians, he says that God has, God has through Christ taken the power of sin and death from the devil, and now now, now no longer, as the, the prophet Isaiah said, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. It's never going to prosper. It's not going to prosper. It's a, it can't take you down. It's like those, it's a, it's like the, it's like those songs we sang this morning, that, the, the powerful name of Jesus. Breaks every I mean, every song that we sang this morning was just like, I love this. It's just so in tune with, with, uh, with what God. I think God's heart is. And so I want to finish with this, is that how does that mean, how does that change our Monday? I think when we wake up Monday morning and we have these residual feelings of guilt for whatever reason, we don't even know why we feel guilty. You ever feel that way? I just feel bad. I don't know why I feel guilty. What, what, you know, I don't know if I've done something wrong or, or what. And when we feel that way, we need to... We need to receive and take a bath. Just bathe in the love of God. Bathe in the grace of God. Bathe in the unconditional, uh, the, co- the covenant that God has made with us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Bathe in grace. And, and Timothy Keller said it this way. He said, he, said, um, he said, the only thing you need for grace to be active in your life is need. If you've got need, just bring it. And that's going to attract the compassion of Christ. Our brokenness... Our failures can incur, and I don't know what, what kind of parents you had, but they can incur anger or I find myself as a dad, like, you know, losing patience with my son. And it's like, and I think, God, like, how did you do this? How did you be a dad to not just one kid, but billions and billions and billions and billions of humans and throughout human history and never, never lose it's the, it's the riches of the grace and the patience of God. And when we don't have that capacity and we just don't have that belief system and when we want to throw the towel in 45 times in five seconds, then what we need to do is just say, just lay ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, I just, I just need you to pour into me. I need you to quicken me. And, 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 and I just need you. And maybe we don't even know how to pray. We just be silent before the Lord. We just get quiet before God. We just get quiet before the Lord. And... Um, Christianity is not about becoming a great Christian. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about knowing Christ. And as we know him, he changes us. He changes us. Uh, You can't meet true grace and not be changed in your life. It changes you. It's it's more grace. The power of God's grace and his righteousness changes us because it's more powerful than sin. Saul, the enemy of God, the al-Baghdadi, or whoever you want to put their name, Hitler, of his day meets jesus and guess who wins jesus wins and i, I just want to encourage us with these words that if you don't have feel like you have capacity don't condemn yourself don't live in beating yourself up just say lord i don't have capacity and i just need you to love on me today and what jesus and jesus saw that and jesus engages pharaoh jesus engages the devil defeats the devil and now the devil has no more power. He made it, it says in Isaiah, it says, no weapon shall prosper. Prosper. I like that word, prosper. I mean, you're going to sometimes get shot by spiritual weapons in your life. You're going to be walking around and then like, my gosh, I got an arrow sticking out of me. a Spiritual arrow. You know, what just happened? You know, you just pull that out and you're bleeding for a while. And then, okay, I got to recover. I got to, you know, just get right in the right path with my thinking. I just got to recover and, and, and rebound. But that, that weapon is not going to prosper in your life. Somebody fail miserably in their life? And I just what I want to be very careful about servants of God, wherever they are. I mean, nobody's perfect. But if a, if, a, if, a, if, a, if a person fails, I'm not going to be one of those pastors that jumps on the bandwagon and says, oh, look at that guy. He, you know, he failed. And, you know, I've never done that. Guess what? Because if I start thinking that way, guess who's next? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's me. You know what I'm saying? So um, living this way Puts us in a place where he changes us, and I love what I love what Spurgeon said. I'm going to try to quote it. He said, and I posted it this week. He said, uh, he said, when I thought God was hard, when I thought that God was a hard God, I found it easy to sin. But when I discovered the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God, and how good He has been to me, and how He's done whatever He's done for my benefit and my good, it broke me, and it just broke, and it put me in a place where where it, 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 Spurgeon says it caused great repentance in his life. Repentance comes in Romans chapter 2 by what? Seeing the goodness and the forbearance of God. That kills us. Does that make sense? When I see the goodness of God in my life, when I see the goodness and the kindness of God, when I deserve flaming hell for eternity, that does something to me. When I see Jesus on, the ro- on my road to Damascus, and I'm in the midst of whatever my business, and he meets me, and he blinds me, And gives me a calling when I'm like, here's here's um, here's Peter. Peter denies Christ. Right. Was it John 21? Yeah. John 21 denies Christ. Here's the CEO of the future church. Right. Blows it. I don't I don't I don't know that man blankety blank man. And it says, Jesus says, hey, do you love me? What does Peter say twice? He says, you know, I think you're a great guy, but I, I can't agape you. I can't, I can't agape you. I can't un- unconditionally love you. You're great. I, I think you're an amazing religious leader. I phileo you. I, I, th- I think, you know, I appreciate you. I think you're cool. I think you're a good friend. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he says, do you love me? And then Peter responds to that and he says, I love you. I can love you this way. I can, re- I can, I can reciprocate agape because you have agape me. Does that make sense? And you know something? Don't beat yourself up. Don't throw your Christianity or, or whatever. Don't, don't, throw yourself, don't, don't throw yourself under the bus. And I'm preaching myself this morning because when those days come and you get that, that headline, it's going to be a gloomy day. <laughs> Just say, Lord, I'm going to be a recipient of the grace and the mercy and the love of God today. Because, um, and that's going to change me. That's going to give me hope. And it's going to give me capacity to follow this Moses out of Israel, out of out of Egypt and into the promised land. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.